0: Women's Work is a special podcast production from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. And if you're liking this podcast so far, you might want to consider signing up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get sneak previews on upcoming episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos for my reporting. Head over to boisestatepublicradio.org newsletters.
1: This episode was recorded on the ancestral homelands of the Walawa Nimipu now known as the Nez Perce people. For millennia the Nez Perce have found shelter and sustenance in these lands, now known as the area from the Walla mountains to the Snake River. Euro-American immigrants arrived in 1871 to homestead this territory and by 1877 the Wallowa band of Nez Perce were forced out. Now we're working to reclaim some of our ancestral land in the Wallawa Valley and reconnect our people with our homeland and cultural traditions, which thrive to this day.
0: When I walk in her front door, Corey Carmen is rushing around, grabbing clothes, grinding coffee, and packing food into a cooler. Next,
1: next, summer sausage all these that we make are coming in
0: handy. <laughs> it's July, and there's a wildfire burning near where her cows are grazing, 40 miles north of here. And today, things got worse.
1: This afternoon, out of nowhere, there's a new fire. And it's to the west, moving east really quickly.
0: The two fires are basically surrounding Corey's herd. And there's only one dirt road to get in and rescue them. She got the news from the lead firefighter coordinating the response, and he sounded stressed.
1: I mean, I said, I don't know what my plan is. And he said, we'll start with the closest ones first.
0: Corey owns and runs Carmen Beef in the Wallowa Valley of Northeastern Oregon. She told me it's been so dry here this summer with very little snowpack and record-breaking high temperatures. She says her land is strange to her.
1: Yeah, this is not even, I don't even know our ranch. Like I don't recognize our land, I don't recognize. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, it's as dry as August, but it's different. It's a different, yeah. It's totally different. It's really, something's not right.
0: I follow Cory outside as she and her ranch manager, Sam Humphreys, load saddles and horses into the trailer and get ready to go. They talk quietly organizing, deciding which horses to bring. They'll be riding through some rough country, gathering up cows and loading them onto trucks to send them home. And if it's okay, I'll hang around. Maybe I'll hear from you tomorrow, but... She asks me to feed her dog for her, and then heads out. Godspeed. This is ranching and climate change responding to wildfires, record-breaking high temperatures, droughts, I saw it playing out in one way or another on all the ranches I visited for this series. And experiencing it herself has just made Corey Carmen double down on her mission to change the way we raise and sell beef. She's taken a close look at our industrial meat system in this country. She says it's broken and it's time for all of us to imagine a more sustainable way forward. I'm Ashley Ahern, and this is Women's Work, stories about the changing face of ranching in the West. I went back in mid-August to finish interviewing Corey. She'd gotten her cows to safety, thankfully. And when I got to Carmen Ranch, it was like the whole landscape had breathed a sigh of relief. There'd been a big rain the night before, the first one all season. We went out to her greenhouse to pick basil. Corey has pale skin, dark hair pulled back in a loose ponytail. The plants were huge, and some had started to flower. Bees droned calmly around us in the heat, and Corey knelt quietly, plucking and pruning as we talked. Well, last time I was here, you were uh, in a very operating at a very different speed.
1: <laughs> I was. Your timing is exceptional. <laughs> it is. It is a nice full circle, right? To show up when, you know, the fires are kind of popping out of nowhere and then to circle back right after it rained for the first time in a long time. it was pretty great. The ranch is peaceful
0: in the golden afternoon light. A peacock struts through the yard. Horses munch hay in a field nearby. Corey's Uncle Kent drives by on his four-wheeler.
1: Where does he go? Just toots around. Really hard to tell. (laughs) Uh, He collects eggs, locks with chickens,
0: This cattle ranch has been in Corey's family for three generations. First, her grandfather and grandmother ran it. Then, her father and uncle took over and raised heritage bulls and breeding stock. Corey and her sister were raised here, and Corey always knew she wanted to ranch when she grew up. But then, when Corey was 14, her father died in an accident on the ranch. And
1: he was a huge, huge, I mean, huge influence in my life, and he and I were super close. Um, and a lot alike, so it's like all things, right, that um, it starts out really, really hard.
0: After her father passed away, Corey's Uncle Kent kept the ranch running, with Corey's grandmother, Ruth. She and Corey were really close. Corey got through high school. She excelled, in fact, got all kinds of scholarships, and went away to Stanford University. She studied public policy, That's where she started to see the flaws in our agricultural system. Corey's father and uncle's generation built the industrial food system we have today. It centers around mass production and efficiency. It involves growing crops like grain using pesticides, fertilizers and herbicides, then shipping some of those crops all over the country to feed cows that are kept in concentrated feeding operations. Then, those cows are processed in large centralized slaughterhouses. In fact, just four big meatpacking companies control more than 80% of the beef market in the U.S. But none of that was real for Corey until college when she was driving on the I-5 freeway in California and she saw her first feedlot. Thousands of animals crammed in together, standing in their own manure. I
1: had no idea. And it's, you know, you can smell it before you see it. I mean, it was just one of those experiences I'll never forget. Feedlots are where more than 90% of the country's beef cattle go
0: to eat grain and get fat before they're slaughtered. It was eye-opening for Corey. As a kid, she didn't know where her family's cows went when they left the ranch. She just knew they had
1: a good life while they were there. And then I, it just clicked. I'm like, oh, this is what everybody... They don't see what I know as ranching this is what they see and this is their experience of livestock production is this massive feedlot along the I-5 freeway. Corey knew she wanted to go
0: back to her family ranch eventually but she didn't want to be a part of that system she saw on the side of I-5. First though she had big career goals she wanted to pursue. She dreamed of going into international policy and development and traveling the world. After she graduated she worked in DC for a while But then one summer in her early 20s, she came home to the ranch to visit her uncle and her grandmother.
1: And, you know, they were making it work, but it was really hard. And it just felt like such an irresponsible thing to do to know that I wanted to come back to the ranch and then look at, you know, how hard those guys were working and say, all right, just keep it together. I'll be back in 20 years maybe it was time to come home and help out. And I really started thinking about that and then um, promptly had a panic attack. <laughs> it's the only one I've ever had. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> and then decided to stay.
0: <laughs> At 23, Corey Carman came home. But she came home committed to doing things differently. If she was raising cows, they were never going to spend a minute of their lives in a feedlot. They weren't going to be fed grain or hay, raised with herbicides or pesticides. They weren't going to be given antibiotics or hormones, just grass and
1: freedom their whole lives. And I think my uncle was so tired and burnt out that when I showed up, he was just like, yeah, take it. He's like, you're going to do what? you going to raise grass-fed beef? But then he was also like, well, There's nobody else standing in line, so at least it's not going to be on, you know, my watch. I can see why
0: that must have been hard for Kent. During his lifetime, the agricultural system transitioned from small, family-run farms and ranches, like the one Corey's grandmother grew up on, to bigger corporate operations. More output meant feeding more people and making more
1: profit. That was what his generation worked for he He definitely in the early days was like, "I'm not associating myself with you in the community mm. with our practices because what we were doing is so weird. Well like what? Just the way we were rotating our cattle and you know we learned holistic management early on and tried to keep everything together and move more frequently and left a lot of grass behind um, to cover the soil and he was just like, yeah, you're clearly nuts. In a way,
0: Corey's built her ranching business around getting back to an older way of raising beef. But it's been a long, hard road, and she started small. Most ranchers raise calves for less than a year on the ranch, then they're sold into the system. They leave the property, and the rancher has no control over how they spend the rest of their lives, or where their meat ends up being sold, and for how much. Corey wanted to change that right from the get-go. So she starts raising cows that spend their whole lives on her ranch, eating only grass. Then she'd take them to a small, local slaughterhouse and sell the meat in shares to people in her community. So they'd buy a quarter of a cow or a half of a cow and store it in their chest freezers to eat throughout the year, instead of going to the grocery store and buying cuts of meat, like most of us do. Soon, Corey meets her husband, and they're ranching together in the middle of nowhere. No cell reception, no internet, and they have their first child. And in those early years, they were barely scraping by. At one point, two of Corey's closest college
1: girlfriends come for a visit. And one was a physician. In New York and one was an attorney in San Francisco and we had I mean they were my two best friends right like we had done everything together and I wanted to take them out to lunch and I didn't have enough money to buy them lunch and I was so just embarrassed, you know, like what am i doing? I have this great degree and there's all these things that i could do and i'm doing this and i don't know if i'm getting anywhere and we are totally totally broke. <laughs> um like literally it wasn't like oh i just don't want to pull it out of my savings account. <laughs> it was like <laughs> there was no money. <laughs> um
0: did your girlfriends take you out, I hope? <laughs> yeah,
1: they did, and i didn't I didn't tell them oh, I, I mean, I was too embarrassed, right? Corey and her husband
0: keep building their business. They start selling their meat in individual cuts for higher prices at local farmers' markets, and then they set their sights on breaking into the urban restaurant
1: world and we would i mean walk in just terrified, right, to these like. High-end Portland chefs and fancy restaurants that there, we like we could never afford to eat in, and they seemed so intimidating. And you know, we'd hand them our little like paper-wrapped steak, and they're like, mm, "We don't really like grass-fed, but I'll give it a try." And um, yeah, little by little, we made some restaurant customers. But it was a constant hustle: raising the beef, figuring out
0: the supply chain, the shipping, processing, marketing, all of it on
1: top of raising three kids. And the numbers were still tight. And then, you know, we'd all have a family dinner together and put the kids to bed and I would go back to the office and just, I mean, that's what I did for so long. Um, yeah, so there was just a lot of kind of dark, lonely nights looking at my budget thinking, I am, I know I'm smart. I have all these tools, I have this great education, and I can't figure out how to make it add up. And what are we going to do? Am I going to be the generation that blows it? (laughs) That was what I would think over and over again. Um, You know, have I been too arrogant about this, like did I make the wrong decision, like should we get bigger? And just like not knowing which direction to go.
0: Corey did end up choosing to get bigger. In order to do that, she knew she couldn't go it alone. She needed to build a bigger supply chain to meet the demand she was creating at restaurants and other places. She needed more beef producers to keep her pipeline full. But to build that pipeline and that infrastructure, she also needed cash. So she worked her network and got the opportunity to pitch her idea to an investment firm that was
1: interested in food systems. so I put together a financial model and a pitch deck. I've never done anything like that before. And um, basically said, here's the deal. You guys believe in developing a grass-fed beef industry in this country. I think I can build a regional model. And this is what it's going to look like. And we're going to do it right. We're going to have the right practices on the ground. We're going to work with you know, committed processors, Um, we're going to have great customers. It's going to take me a couple years. And if we build this foundation, have a really great supply chain, then we will uncover the things that we can add value to. Her pitch was successful and the money made it possible for Corey
0: to build a supply chain beyond just her ranch. Now Carmen Beef buys cows from seven different ranches in the Northwest. And these ranchers have all agreed to a few key guidelines. Every cow is raised only on grass, never confined to a feedlot or fed grain. The cows are not given hormones or antibiotics. Ranchers agree to minimize the use of herbicides and pesticides, and create grazing plans that keep cows moving around to promote soil health. Corey worked to deal with a small family-owned slaughter and processing facility. And that turned out to be really beneficial during the pandemic, when large industrial slaughterhouses were shut down because of COVID outbreaks. Her processor kept going. Now, Corey has built up demand for Carmen beef in restaurants from Sacramento to Seattle. It's sold at butcher shops across the region, and the New Seasons grocery store chain now carries it too.
1: And then the meat company has a mission and a vision and a group of investors and all of us that work really hard to execute on that get a paycheck every month. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. She did it. She built that alternative
0: supply chain. Instead of going to the big four meat processors, ranchers can sell their beef through her for more money and be rewarded for doing the right thing on their land and for their animals.
1: It's a much better situation than
0: what I have doing before. So in a way you created the company that buys your beef that mm-hmm. you wish you could have sold to when yeah. you started.
1: Totally, 100%. And now I run it. But
0: will it scale? That's a question I've been pondering throughout my reporting for this series. And it's a big part of what drew me to Corey Carmen. So many of the women I've met are doing amazing things at the individual and local community level. They're connecting directly with customers, selling their meat in shares or online, boutique style. That said, most of them are operating more at the farmer's market level than the McDonald's level. And at the end of the day, we can still all go to McDonald's and buy beef on the dollar menu. I keep wondering, when do ranchers like the ones I've met break
1: out of the niche market and into that mainstream system? The question is always, <laughs> well, we can't feed the world doing it the way you're doing it, right? And that's often the critique, and it's just, and and my, counter to that or my answer to that is we actually can't feed the world the way that we're doing it right now so something's going to give and um, what we could feed the world doing is a really resilient integrated system but what we suffer from is a failure to imagine it because all we can imagine is a system that we know
0: When Cory thinks about our future and her future as a rancher, wracked by wildfire, drought, chemical-ridden soil, pandemics that shut down large meat processing facilities, her thoughts turn to her grandmother Ruth and the food system of that older generation. It was local and regional. The meat Ruth ate was raised nearby. It was slaughtered nearby. It ate grass because growing a crop like grain and then shipping it all over the country to feed livestock was a bad use of money and land. It was so different from the system we have
1: now. If you were to describe to my grandma when she was, you know, had her first child, um, which would have been in 1940-something, to describe to her the feedlot system for beef or the industrial food system, she would be like, you are nuts. That doesn't even make sense, and yet, In 70 years, we created it, and we can't imagine anything else. Our limitation is not that we can't feed the world. It's that we can't imagine what it's going to take. But we can totally do it, and we don't have a choice.
0: Pistol and I are out riding, and the sun's about to go down, just up on a ridge looking down over the valley where I live. It's getting cold, late fall, a little bit of snow on the ground, and this is, you know, where I do a lot of my thinking on horseback and pistol. She doesn't say much, but she's a damn good listener, and I've been reflecting a lot on all the women I've met reporting this series. All these conversations keep playing through my head. And I decided to end the series with Corey Carmen because I really think she nailed it. Because this isn't just about cows, whether you love them or hate them, it's about us and our lack of imagination, our inability to reimagine the system, as Corey said. And I guess what I found in all the miles on my truck and hours of conversation and all the different ranches I visited is that this isn't impossible. I mean, sure, the industrial meat system is fundamentally flawed. But the women I've met for this series are reimagining the system. Each one in her own small way, in her own corner of the world. It's a start, anyway. And it's been my great joy to visit with them and share those stories with you. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Okay, Pistol. Are you ready? Pistol.
1: girl. <laughs> Good girl. Good
0: girl. Women's work was edited by Whitney Henry Lester. Thanks to Christine Trudeau for her help on the series. Sound design is by Liza Yeager. Art for the series is by Katie Michael and photography is by Louise Johns. Thank you to Amelia Marchand for recording the land acknowledgment you heard at the beginning of this episode. She's a member of the Chief Joseph Band of Wallowa Nez Perce, and she's the executive director of the Center for World Indigenous Studies. This series was written and edited where I live, on the ancestral lands of the Metau people. For millennia, they inhabited the valleys and mountains surrounding the Metau River, which flows from the Cascade Mountains of Washington into the Columbia River. The Meadow people do not have their own reservation. They were forced onto the nearby Colville Reservation in the 1880s. But there are some who still live in the Metau Valley today and are working to restore salmon habitat and preserve cultural traditions. Women's Work was produced in partnership with Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Big thank you to Lacey Daly, Tom Michael, and Dave Rosenthal. Thanks also to the Society of Environmental Journalists. Support for the series comes from the Stolte Family Foundation, Lori and Paula Hearn, who are not related to me, and the Kongsgaard Goldman Fund. Support also comes from the Roundhouse Foundation, in memory of Gert Boyle, a true woman of the West who encouraged all of us to get outside. I also need to say a big thank you to all the amazing women ranchers who invited me along for the ride and trusted me to share your stories. And finally, to Carrie and Deed Fink. For showing me the ropes when it comes to ranching. All of it. The long days, the sweat, the tight margins, but also the love and the community that surrounds this work. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening.